Bibles, if you go to Matthew chapter 27.
The spectacle of a kangaroo court is finished. The rooster has crowed. Peter's denial has been confessed. The crowd's screams have been silenced. Jesus Barabbas, yes, his first name was Jesus, like our Lord, has been freed. Pilate's hands have been washed. His wife's warning has been given, and she's still having nightmares and, and dreams about this person called Jesus. The soldier's cruelty has been dished. Jesus has been beaten to a pulp. His cross has been carried because he was too weak to finish the journey himself. His words from the cross have been spoken. The darkness has subsided. The veil has been torn. The rocks have been split. And the graves open up in the book of Matthew. That's right. Jesus' body has been removed from the cross. A crowd of silence, a cloud of silence, rather, has fallen upon the world and upon the disciples of Jesus as he breathed out his last breath, cried, it is finished, and unto you, my Father, I commit my spirit. The realm of darkness appears to be victorious at that point. There's nothing left for the Messiah to do. They need to bury him. Bury him. See, the final stone is the one that is rolled to the entrance of Jesus' grave and burial. It is a final barrier, if you will, between us and the one who loved us so much, Jesus the Christ. When the final stone was rolled into place, it gave tangible expression to sin's wages. For the wages of sin is death, death, with a capital D, the power of death that has plagued humanity for so long that there was no escape from it and no remedy for it. It remained the final frontier to be conquered. Right. And as hard as we may try to understand, we cannot roll this stone away that sits on the front of a tomb, of a grave, by ourselves. Who will rescue us from the realm of death? question we need to ask ourselves today is what is so important about the burial of Jesus Christ that all four Gospels writers had to tell its story? And why we as a church at large do not emphasize what's going on here in this passage? There's not much to grasp with. So you have to come to understand what death and burial mean for us as human beings. The Apostle Paul also said that Jesus' burial was part of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4. For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. That's the Hebrew Scriptures, because the New Testament was not yet written yet. That he was died, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. Paul says, by the gospel of his burial, we are saved. Why do we leave this important aspect of Jesus' life out of our discussion? The Apostle Creed mentions that Jesus was crucified, dead, and he was buried. The Nisan Creed said he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, right there, a historical fact, underneath the governor of the Roman Empire over Judea at the time. He suffered and he was buried. It seems to me that the burial of Jesus historically is just as important as the gospel of King Jesus, as was his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. Mm. 
You see, we Christians love to talk about the empty tomb. Because our Lord is risen, and He is risen indeed. Amen. I know it's Friday, Mark. And I know Sundays are coming, but not yet. That's right. Not yet. You have to pause here. That's right. You have to reflect on what is going on on the day Jesus was crucified and the day Jesus was buried. The burial of Jesus is important for all of us. All of what happened in this life matter, the conception and Mary's womb to the burial in Jesus' tomb, which was a horrible one. You see, before there can be an empty tomb, there has to be a filled tomb. That's right. Hello? Before there is an empty tomb, there has to be a filled tomb. Death on the cross seems final. But when you bury someone, you know the finality of death. That's right. You know what's happening there. That's right. Jesus' final signs are all, have all stopped. There's nothing left to do but to bury him. So here we have Jesus, all four Gospels, lying in a borrowed tomb. No one even prepared for Jesus' burial. Look at the time we have to prepare for our own burials. New, just like the young donkey that has never been ridden. It's, we can say it's a virgin tomb, as he was born in a virgin womb. See, Matthew's Gospel makes it clear that though Jesus is dead and buried, his enemies aren't resting too well. When you carry on the reading in verses 62 to 66, you find them conniving and scheming because they still can't get over the fact this guy might rise from the dead. But that's a passage for another time. Matthew tells us it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they have to get his body ready before Sabbath comes in full swing. And how do you get prepared to find a tomb to get permission for his body and so on in such a short time period from three to six? Right. There's work to be done to get a proper burial for Jesus since nobody planned it for him. Fleming Rutledge writes, while Jesus is on, is on his way to trial, to torture, to death, Everyone else in the story is protecting their own flanks. They're protecting themselves. Right. Self-protection. Isn't that part of our culture today? I protect myself. Mm -hmm. Judas sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denies him. Pilate just Pilate. Pilate washes his hands of the whole ordeal. And we don't even know where the disciples have gone. Everybody is vindicating themselves while Jesus is dying and now is about to be buried. Boy, where do we see this scenario played out? And as we read the passage of his burial, we can ask the question, who are these men that bury Jesus anyway? And does it surprise you that the disciples have disappeared once again? Where are they? Sure. I know the fact that granted that the male disciples would have been in danger as suspected allies of a revolutionary coup because it was a political death. He died as a criminal, a political crime claiming to be the king, and he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but they had no clue that he was, or they wouldn't accept that he was. But is that a good enough excuse for the disciples to disappear? And all the gospel writers tell us about a man named Joseph. It's Mark's gospel that says that Joseph was from the Sahedrin, the very 
office of law and justice in Jerusalem that God Jesus crucified. Mm. He's one that spoke out against it, but there he is the one who comes into this narrative, and he's the one that's going to provide the tomb, and he's the one that's going to help with the burial. And there's also another man named Nicodemus, but he doesn't appear in none of the first three Gospels, but he does appear in the Gospel of John. And we remember him from the man that came at night to speak with Jesus, because he didn't want anyone to see him speaking with Jesus. So here we have these two people of the institution of Israel, of the Jewish institution, that are involved in the burial of Jesus, but not his disciples. Not the ones who were close to him, not the ones who walked with him, not the ones who prayed with him, not the ones who seen him cast out demons. It's these two institutional Jews that are involved in his burial. Well, we find that Matthew does something that the other Gospels don't. Matthew calls him a disciple. Somehow, along the journey, he realized that this guy believed in Jesus. See, Jesus' body, according to the Jewish customs, could not remain on a cross overnight. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, we read this. If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it the same day. Because anyone who's hung on a pole is under God's curse. So you need to get him down from the cross. You've got three hours to do it. You need to find some... Then first you need to get permission to bury him. And then you're allowed to wash on the Sabbath. But make sure that you hurry up before decomposition of the body. There's not much time there. The Roman custom, on the other hand, was to let the bodies of the crucified hang in full view. Everyone to see. Until they rotted away while their bodies were picked by scavenger birds, by vultures. And sometimes they took the body off the cross, they flung it on the ground and let the wild dogs have their feast. It's not a sanitized picture, is it? No. Of the ones we draw for our children, of what actually went on on not only Jesus' crucifixion, but everyone that was crucified during the Roman times. So how are they going to get a burial for Jesus? Who's going to convince Pilate to permit someone to give Jesus a proper burial? You needed somebody that had access to Pilate, and that's where Joseph comes in. Part of the Jerusalem's Sahedrin, part of the council, he had an inroad, so he had a way to have a council and to have meeting with this person that was governor of the area at that time. It's because of his high standing within Jewish community that he's at, he has access to Pilate, to whom he goes and makes the request for a proper burial. And some of the scriptures, I read that Pilate's surprised that Jesus died so quickly, mm. Right? We know the Psalms speak about that his body will not see decay. So Joseph speaks up. Pilate grants Joseph permission to bury him. Nicodemus joins him on the journey to the burial. In John's Gospel, we read that he picks up 70 pounds of spices and herbs that he can anoint Jesus' body in the white linen cloth for a temporary preparatory uh, preparation of his body and then the ladies will come after the Sabbath has finished. So we have these two men 
Joseph and Nicodemus, who kept their relationship with Jesus in the shadows. Hmm. And now they're the ones who take his body from Golgotha and bound the body tightly with spices wrapped in linen bands, as was the burial custom of the Jews, and they place it in Joseph's new tomb. And we read in the Gospel of John that the tomb is in a garden. We have the beginning of creation in the garden, we have the death and burial of Jesus in a garden. They're not there because of coincidence. Right. God is trying to speak to us. So they had that extra permission to wash the body and so on. And as they left the tomb, they were no longer afraid to let the world know that they believed in Jesus the Christ. Right. Even though the rest of the council, the Sanhedrin, and some of the Pharisees and Sadducees rejected Jesus, they finally pinned their colors to the mast and said, this is the one we believe in as well, that is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. It took courage, it took faith, it took belief and to do what they did, while all the disciples of Jesus that knew him intimately disappeared. Disappeared. All oh, the two women are there looking on in Matthew's Gospel. But they come to light in Matthew 28 in the resurrection scene. Matthew's playing a game of chess with us. He's preparing us for the resurrection as he's telling us about the burial of Jesus. The story ends there as the Holy Spirit is silent. Whatever became of Joseph and Nicodemus, we don't know. And maybe it's good that we don't know. They, this time they came when they showed their faith and they left a huge impression on the pages of history. And they don't have much space right. in the narratives of the entire Bible, but they have important space right. because of what they did. See, the words of Isaiah must have rang through their hearts. He was assigned a grave with the rich in his death. Joseph was a rich man. He was a rich man. So what's the importance of Jesus' burial? The filled tomb allows us to grieve. Allows us to weep. It was at the tomb of a friend named Lazarus in John's Gospel that Jesus himself wept. Right. He felt the pain of someone he loved who was entombed, who was in a cave, who was buried, like he would be buried a little bit later on. Did he see a vision of what was going to happen to him at that moment when he went to call Lazarus out of the tomb? How much more should we weep appropriately when it's our Lord that is buried? How much more should we weep in the story of Jesus when we stop at the burial long enough before jumping to Easter morning and try to grieve and try to understand what went through Jesus' mind and life at this point? You know what we learn? We learn that humans grieve, and so does Jesus. Right. And so does our God. Right. Read the book of Lamentation. Read the Psalms. You understand that grief is not something that as, as irrelevant to the Christian walk. It's something that's crucial and needed. Burial is the place where we grieve for our departed loved ones. Whenever family members and community members and church family members die, we have a viewing, we have a church service, and we're getting pretty slack at this point. We have a burial for a reason. Because Jesus had it. And there's something important for us to learn at burials and what it means to us and to our life and for our walk in Jesus Christ. Those of us who have buried someone know the cold collapse of death. 
You know it in the literal sense when someone who means the world to you is gone, when you yourself must stare it in the face. You know it in a hundred other ways as the death of a friendship, the death of a career, the loss of youth, the loss of health, the death of happiness, the death of dreams. Death is real, my friends. Let's not forget it. Yes, Mark, I know it's Friday. I know Sundays are coming, but not yet till we learn to grieve as the people of God. Till we learn to weep as the people of God. But as Paul says, we don't grieve as the world Grieves. We grieve with hope in our hearts. That's right. That death is not the final curtain. That's right. That death is not the end. That death does not separate us from, from hope. We grieve, but we grieve with hope. Amen. Amen. That's why the burial is important. Church, we have faith in a king who specializes in turnarounds. Do you believe that? Praise Amen. God. See, the death of Jesus is the turning point of history. That's right. We believe in King Jesus who does not cancel death. He conquers death. Amen. Because when we say he canceled death, we can't explain the suffering in our world. We know he conquered death, which gives us hope that even though some suffer and some do suffer, and some are still paid with pain because of people that they have lost in life, yet we have hope. Amen. We have hope that the light of Christ is coming. Amen. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? See, as soon as Jesus, the eternal Son of God, enters into the realm of death, the power that has ruled over humankind for so long since Adam sinned, as soon as he enters into that realm of death, death dies. Amen. I don't know if you got that. Say it again. Soon as Jesus, the eternal Son of God, enters into the realm of death, death dies. Amen. It's been conquered. Amen. And we have hope. Thank the Lord. We believe in the tomb of hope because through Jesus Christ, the emptiness of death now has been filled with the fullness of God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's why burial is important. Because we're going to those places where we, we bury our departed ones because we believe that the presence of God is there even in the grave. Hallelujah. Amen. Even in the grave. Thank you, Lord. <coughs> John's gospel sees Jesus' death and burial as the triumph of the Lamb, the hour of glory. Finally, the hour of glory has come. See, the Son of God, by his own permission, has been given over to the realm of death. Satan rules there, or better yet, he did. Amen. He did. Amen. See, death does not defeat God's eternal promise in Jesus. God has now dwelled <coughs> among the dead, because he's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Is he not? See, Jesus shares our nature with us. And he shares that to the point of death, which means Jesus had limits like we have limits. Right? So of course he's going to die. That's the limit. That's what he has to go through. But he enters into that realm of death, not only as the son of man, but he enters that into the realm of death, even as the son of God. And as God entering into the realm of death, which God could not enter because he's the God of the living. He's a living God. He cannot go to the place of death. But in Christ, who is both fully divine and fully human, he enters into that realm of death and he defeats death because the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus is the doorway for the conquest of death, which now we can have hope because yet, even though I die, yet shall I live. Hallelujah. I shall live. 
Because God entered into the realm of death and has set us free from its bondage. Thank you, Lord. So when you drive past that cemetery, don't mourn as the people of this world, Lord. Mourn as people of hope. That people who died in Christ, God's presence is there with them. Amen. Why don't we get this? Why don't we get this? When that's what Jesus was buried for, to give us that hope that our loved ones are no longer dead because Jesus even descended into hell, went to preach to those people that were in the grave, in the underworld, in the realm of death and hell, and he wanted and said, I am the victor. I hold the keys of hell and Hades in my hands. Death is destroyed. Who's with me? Who's with me? Praise God. I don't know about you, I am. I am. Jesus is able to die, but the eternal word that became incarnate is not able to die. You cannot defeat the word of God. See, by nature, we're all on our way from birth to death. That's right. But by grace, we're on our way from death to birth. Amen. We came from the womb to the tomb, and then we journeyed from the tomb to the womb, which is the new creation. And maybe Nicodemus got it this time at the burial. Oh, that's what he meant when you must be born again. Because even when I die, I'm heading to a womb that gives me new birth and I become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Are you getting it? Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's all because of God's grace. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's easy to collapse the time between Good Friday and Easter Sunday and rush immediately to the empty tomb. But on this Good Friday of 2022, I want to tell you, would you pause a moment? Would you reflect on the cross? Would you reflect on the importance of the cross for our forgiveness, for our sanctification, for our holy walk with the Lord, would you reflect enough on the burial of what that means not only for me and what my future might lie when I get buried, but also for my loved ones who were buried at one point in life, and the hope and the belief that we come that they are not dead, they are in the place of life because Jesus was buried as well. Hello? The burial becomes the beginning of life. I know it's hard for us to grasp it, but that's what happens when we put our faith in Christ. In light of Christ Jesus' grave, our graves have become transfigured to places of the most wonderful hope. Church, do you believe this? Yes, yes, thank you, Lord. You that's why the early Christians were not afraid of dying for Jesus. That's right. They, they believed in this truth that our death becomes the place of hope. John Christelson, an early patristic writer, writes that tombs, the tombs with life, are the tombs that give voice. And before we worship man comes down, we sing as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. And we sing this song of preparation. I just want to have one final scripture. It comes from John chapter 5. I don't know if you remember reading this. If you skipped over it. Even the haunting words from were you there 
which I started at the beginning of the week. I wrote them down in, in the email to the worship team if they read it. We heard it again at the Holy Week service. We heard it again this morning. And they put that verse, were you there when they laid him in the tomb? It's a picture that we need to picture ourselves with Jesus at those moments of his last breath on earth and contemplate him and ask the Lord what they mean. But here's the verse from John chapter 5, verse 25. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. I'll say it again. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Let me 